This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley, and, well, we've done it. We've got through to the end of the week. Well, unless you're Paddy Morden, Kerry Bader not, or, um, who was the other one? Paddy Morden. <laughs> That's politics for you. Uh, right, uh, coming up on today's episode, we're going to take a slight step back for the Toy Leadership Contest. Our big thing today is a really nice chat with the comedian Al Murray. I say comedian. He's a comedian, historian, podcaster, drummer friend of the show uh so yeah nice chat with him just to round things off to talk a bit about politics and playing the pub landlord and, and all of that but also going back to the edinburgh fringe uh, too so that's coming up um in just a moment on the podcast we'll have melanie reading james forsyth uh, casting an eye over the news as well but as ever as we do on a friday and for the last time for a couple of weeks because i'm away for a couple of weeks patrick mcguire times red box editor will be with you for the next fortnight uh but let's take a look at what we learned this week We learned that everyone was getting very hot and sweaty, but not about the prospect of Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak going at it, but at the record-breaking temperatures. In politics, we learned that Boris Johnson is going to keep on banging out the greatest hits. Great blue Tory ferret, Brenda Hale, the rejoiners and the revengers. We took back control. Gigabit broadband. Local crofters, humble crofters. It is time that he take his poking pill and puts his helmet on. I'm more popular on the streets of Kiev than I am in Kensington. Did a loop-the-loop and an aileron roll and a barrel roll. Doggerland! We learned that Keir Starmer's very sad to see the back of the Prime Minister paying a fulsome, warm, heart-moving tribute. I do know that the relationship between a Prime Minister and leader of the opposition is never easy. And this one's proved no exception to the rule. Honestly, I'm welling up here. We learned that Trade Secretary Anne-Marie Trevelyan thought her minister, Penny Morden, was bunking off for months to work on a leadership bid. So there have been a number of, a number of uh, times when uh, she hasn't been available, which would have been useful, and other ministers have picked up the pieces, yes. And then in the Commons, we learned from Penny Morden, there's no love lost there. Yes, I am, I'm sort of amazed to find myself here this morning, given my reported work ethic, but I, I am here... 
Melinda Liz Truss got herself a new slick slogan. I might not be the slickest presenter. I mean, that's the most truthful thing of the whole leadership campaign. We learned what Rishi Sunak's big weakness is. I think most people know I probably have a reputation for working hard and, and getting across the details. A details man who at that very moment was sitting in front of a sign with the word campaign spelt wrong. And finally, where Tony Blair gave us... I wish everyone, friend or foe, well. And that is that. The end. And David Cameron said... Nothing is really impossible if you put your mind to it. After all, as I once said, I was the future once. We learned that these were Boris Johnson's last words at the dispatch box. Hasta la vista, baby! (laughs) But he's not the Terminator. He's been terminated. So that is what we learned this week. Now it's time for this. The Columnists with Formel, James Forsyth and Melanie Reed on Times Radio. Lovely stuff, lovely stuff. On a Friday, we get to say good morning to Melanie Reed. Morning, Melanie. Morning, Matt. Nice to have you with us. And James Forsyth. Morning, James. Morning, Matt. How are you? I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. I'm a bit demob happy, if I'm honest, James. I feel like I've done enough of the leadership contest and now I can step away for a couple of weeks and they can they can carry on uh, without me. I suppose we should probably start with there, James. Your column today, trying to assess who is the biggest Thatcherite. Both Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss uh, claiming the, uh, the, 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 the heir to Thatcher. Who do you come down on the side of? I think the first thing to do is, I think it does seem strange that the Tories talk so much about a leader who became leader of the party before uh, either of the candidates in selection were born. But I think think the reason why is that she combined both radicalism and seriousness about government and how to get things done. So she had big ideas and she had a plan for how to actually achieve them. And I think she was also prepared to, to confront hard choices. Now, look, I've known Rishi Sunak for years. When I look at what he is saying, what Liz Truss is saying, it does seem to me that when Liz Truss says we can have tax cuts, no need for any return to austerity and increased defence spending on, uh, sorry, increased defence spending to 3% of GDP, there don't seem to me to be very many hard choices in that that set. And I think that that is my question, which is, you know, politics, lots of politics, you know, as, as Ken Badenoch used to argue in the debates, is about trade-offs. And there don't seem to be many trade-offs in Liz Truss's plans. Um, it is a bit weird, isn't it, uh, Melanie? This is the point that James makes, that, that, that as a party, they're still talking about Thatcher in a way that the Labour Party does not claim, you know, who's the heir to Wilson um, uh, when, they're, when they're having these arguments. You know, speaking speaking as one of one of one of her children in the, in the you know one of the yuppies of the nineteen eighties, now now an old lady, I find it extraordinary. Having lived through lived through all that, it's extraordinary how her shadow is still extending into into the twenty first century. I mean, you, you know, you hear the the big man's theory of history, but she's sort of the the giant woman in theory. It it you know. It, Especially in Scotland, what what's extraordinary is um, she was the biggest bogeyman, bogey woman rather, that in politics that Scotland could ever have had, and and she's still she's been regurgitated down all the generations, and 
now to hear um, for, for the Scottish Conservatives now to hear her being um, you know the, everyone trying to be like her and to see um, poor, poor Liz Truss with her, her blouse with a fussy bow on it that, that you know Mrs. Mrs. Thatcher used to wear nearly 50 years ago it, it's I, it's absolutely weird. I I I I can't understand the the the, the grip that um, Thatcher still has, and which does not work in Scotland. I mean, it, the Tory, the Scottish Tories must have their heads in their hands. Extraordinary, James. It's also, and um, we've talked a little bit about this on the show before, but Thatcher. Because she was well, because she was so dominant in politics for such a long time, from the mid seventies, uh, you know, right up to into the nineties and beyond. But her views changed an awful lot. Liz Truss knows about uh, having your views change over a period of time, um, and so almost anyone can claim a particular idea is Thatcherite because she might have uh, extolled it in nineteen seventy eight, or she might have suggested it in nineteen eighty nine. Um, and so, so you could have two diametrically opposed candidates, both pursuing yes, what they but, claim is the Thatcherite plan. I, I, I think if we're if, at the risk of, of making um, Melanie put her head uh, in her hands, you know, I think you could say that kind of canonical Thatcherism is from seventy five to nineteen ninety. I think I think some of her pronouncements after she left office um, are. are are, are perhaps not as um, are perhaps not as kind of key to understanding what kind of Thatcherism was about. I, I, I think I think you're right though, Matt. That obviously Thatcherism means different things to different people. Um, totally. Yeah. But but I think it is worth remembering the kind of order of Thatcherism, if you see what I mean, which is the kind of you know, she, she, I mean, I think that the most important budget of the Thatcher era, to my mind, is the 81 budget, the, the famous one that 300 and whatever it was, 50 or 60 economists wrote to the time saying, this is mad. And in that budget, she actually put up taxes and imposed a wimple tax on banks to try and grip inflation. And so when people say, oh, we're going to just cut taxes right now, because that's what Margaret Thatcher would do, I, I don't think that is the right answer. And I think there is also another danger that that we import this Reaganite idea uh, that you know if you just slash taxes, that that that'll that'll work. In, you know, it, you know, even in a high inflationary environment, that'll work because of what he did in '81. I mean, there are two dangers to that. One, when Reagan did that, the the, the interest rates in the US were about 16, 17 percent, you know, radically higher than, any, than than they are here here today. And you know, how many people in this country could pay their mortgage if you put interest rates up to 16 or 17 percent? And the second point is. The U.S. Is the, has the global reserve currency, and that gives it a level of flexibility that no other country has when it comes to the size of deficit it wants to run, how it chooses to fund its public finances. So, James, who do you think is going to emerge from this triumphant in the end? Um, and I know, you know, you, I, you talked about the fact you've no, you have no wish you that for a long time, so it might be a slightly unfair uh, question if you're right. To, to goad you into saying that you think Liz Truss might beat him. But who is it? Is it possible, despite what the polls of Tory members are saying, is it possible that you think that he could still pull it off? Uh, look, I think, I think Tory members haven't made up their minds. Um, I think it's quite telling that in that YouGov poll, um, the two candidates scrapping it out are the third and fourth choice of Tory members, even now. Um, yeah. And that suggests, to my mind, a certain fluidity in, in the electorate. Um, I, I think that, you know, look, most Tories will vote quite early when they get their ballot paper. 
So, you know, I think it, you, know, you would need, Rishi Sunak would need to see some forward momentum by the time that the ballot papers go out at the beginning of August. That, that, that's clear. Uh, what do you think, Melody? Who do you think is going to pull it off? I think I think probably trust. Uh, I because because I don't think that the the electorate any the, the, the even the the Tory party members um, have the stomach for tough medicine anymore. They want they want to, people now want easier options than they used to do. Yeah, and I suppose that's that's the big question, isn't it? Is that do the Tories want to make tough decisions or or be promised the moon on a stick? Um, just finally, because um, I'm slightly conscious of time, but I want to talk about this story because this is my favourite story of the week. Uh, a man called Jim Metcalf got on the London-bound sleeper train from Glasgow. He gets on the train, gets into bed, goes to sleep, thinks, oh, I'm going to wake up in London. He wakes up in the morning. He's still in Glasgow. The, the Caledonian sleeper... <laughs> the Caledonian sleeper never left the station. He's, he tweeted saying, in 15 years of using this train, through many bizarre twists and turns, this has to be the strangest yet. He just sat here all night. I think they gave him a bacon sandwich or something and then kicked him off the train again. Uh, Melody, I, I assume you've used the uh, the sleeper at, at some point. Yes, I have. And it is, a, it is a fantastic way to travel. It really is. But As long as um, you do travel. This <laughs> is a kind of wonderfully analogue sense of, of no time travel, isn't it? You don't get places. You think you are, but you're not. Because you... The, the, do you know what what is nice about it? The he must have had a really good night's sleep, and he must be used to sleeping really well on the sleeper. That he because normally when on the sleeper you keep you do wake you kind of you're aware of the train swaying around, and he must he must sleep very well indeed. He just he didn't actually notice he wasn't moving. I think it's very very great story. <laughs> Anything like this happened to you, James? Uh, this 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 prompted a, a, a fierce debate in the spectator office yesterday because because Fraser's view was that you know uh, uh, as for Melanie's point that you never sleep well enough on the sleeper to to not realise that the train isn't moving um, yeah. and that you know he's like yeah surely surely the person must have woken up at some point in the night and and realised that the train was stationary um, it, 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 but but there is something delicious about it because you know the ultimate end of kind of British rail travel <laughs> you can get on a sleeper train <laughs> and wake up twelve hours later in exactly and, and, the same place you were at the beginning. And do you know what was really rather sweet at the end of it? His quote when he said, "For me, it was a minor inconvenience," and I just thought, <laughs> what? you know what. What a really nice bloke he must be! <laughs> it does seem to be. It does seem to be a very nice. No, I, 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 I love this. I mean, my own, the only explanation I think for how you could have slept like that is if uh, the only time I've been on the calendar on the uh, on that sleeper is uh, have a couple of cans of gin and tonic uh, when you get on. <laughs> that seems to be the um, maybe that explains how he managed to. <laughs> Sleep you you can't imagine a... him explaining to the person he was meeting in London that the next morning. Well, I did get on the train. Yeah, you know, I didn't miss it. It just, it just never left the station. Uh, you imagine. <laughs> it's such you a know, good story. On, on the level of excuses, you know, it, it's almost so implausible you'd have to consider it to be true. Oh, well, what a lovely story um, to end on. Uh, thank you so much uh, to you both uh, for all of your. Um... Insight, not just today, but over the last few weeks. I'm off for a couple of weeks now, but we'll catch up again uh, later in the summer. Melanie Reed and James Forsyth then. Of course, you can read James in The Times every Friday. You can read Melanie in The Times Saturday magazine. You can read me in The Saturday 
newspaper. Uh, just pick up a copy of the paper or subscribe. Just go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box and you can subscribe now. I think there's a special offer on one now. You get three months of a pound. So get online and, uh, and do that. Right, up next, it's our mummy. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast now. It's time for this. The Big Thing on Times Radio. Now, uh, for the last two weeks, obviously, we've been keeping you across the very latest in the Conservative leadership race, the ups and downs of politics. We thought, look, it's Friday. It's my last day before I go off for two weeks. So let's do something a little bit different. Comedian, pub landlord, podcaster, historian. Friend of the show, Al Murray, is taking his new stand-up show with the pub landlord. It's called Gig for Victory. He's heading to the Edinburgh Fringe. So I caught up with him for a chat about comedy, politics, and whether we'll miss Boris Johnson. Who are the British? He's vague, isn't it? Who the British is, he's vague. He's very, very vague. And then, of course, is how we got our name, isn't it? The British. <laughs> It's completely f***ish, isn't it? That's what's all the other countries. American, French, German, Russian. British. Ish. Totally ish. And we're made up of ish people. The English are completely ish. The Scottish are extremely ish. The Irish are so ish, you're not sure which ish they really are. And of course, the Welsh. <laughs> Listen about them, they're better for any of them. <laughs> Keep them out of sight, out of harm's way. Now, the point is... So, Al Murray, first of all, welcome back to mm. Times Radio, the reigning champion of our, if I ruled, <laughs> the World Cup. Uh, last, well, I... last year, you yeah. won the World Cup. We asked, every Monday, we ask somebody who's not a politician what they would do if they ruled the world. We took all the best ideas, we polled them, people voted mm. on them, and you won. Remind me your big idea. <laughs> to, to, to do nothing. <laughs> What's the idea? Just to do nothing, because you can't get that wrong, can you? And also, the country could do with a pause on all the bright ideas and endless buggering about reform, couldn't it? I mean, that, that's my, you know, that, that, that's how I feel. And it, the fact that other people uh, bought, bought in on this is really very, very exciting. It was, it was a hugely popular uh, position, far better than, <laughs> uh, 
you sort of competition for my car. Remember, is it Shappy Costanzi and Liz Perkins, uh, uh, Sue Perkins, loads of people, yeah. loads of people. So how how have it, uh, let's talk about what's going on in politics right now? Are you closely following the shenanigans to replace Boris Johnson? Yeah, well, I well, yes. I mean, I I did that thing where I thought I'm not gonna, I am not gonna watch this. I am not the, the first debate. I am not gonna watch this. And then I what? Then I watched it unfold on Twitter, and basically I thought oh, I'm gonna have to come back in after the ad break and watch the last quarter of the of the um uh the, the one on channel four and i i mean you know if ever you want if ever you wanted to really um damage the brand it, i mean which of course is that none of them are thinking like that of the conservative party this would be the way to do it wouldn't it this is quite it's quite spectacular and i have a big fondness though for um rishi sunak's smile to self when he gets his lines right he does a sort of <laughs> he does the little boy's smile in the school play when he you know when when Joseph or in the nativity gets his lines right, he does that big sort of grin to himself of I got it. So when he lands his lines, he does this sort of b- b- schoolboyish grin, which just which you know he's the front runner, he's the top of the shop. It would seem. I mean, it's it's a, a fantastic show for us all, I think. But not necessarily good for the country. I don't know if it's I, well, maybe it is good for the country. Maybe yeah. I mean, I always I, I often think. Um, you know, when politics is going badly, it doesn't necessarily, or when politicians are screwing up, it doesn't necessarily mean it's bad for the country. It might mean that, you know, we, we have to come to this, that this this sort of has to happen. And uh, and uh, and it may even be, there may even be some sort of, some, some people in the Conservative Party think, well, we need to, unfortunately, we've got to go through this. This is where we've got ourselves to. I mean, who knows? Who knows? It's quite nice. There are ideas going on about tax and spend and arguments about... <laughs> Climate change and whatnot. Ideas are quite good, rather than the total soap opera of what we've had for the last three months of exactly yeah. how many parties there were or whatever. There's, there's well, yes, I mean, ideas is ideas is. Um, I think being you're, you're flattering to deceive there. I don't know that. Um, <laughs> I don't know that you could stand up on the legs and call them ideas. I mean, they're sort of they're sort of more tone notes, aren't they? I, I you know, strike the necessary tone over tax cuts and all that, and and the membership will follow. I mean, I think the, the other interesting thing is obviously this is a membership beauty contest but we're all getting to watch it and i think that's a that is an interesting um uh uh thing that i don't think it occurred to them that you know that normally these sort of hustings we wouldn't see we wouldn't see the, the glad handling on the uh, 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 handing on the rubber chicken circuit but we're getting to watch it and we're getting to see them i mean the, the my favorite reverse of the whole thing was you know, the first debate where Tom Tugendhat was the only person to say that he thought that Johnson was dishonest. And then the second debate where no one would put their hand up to have him in the party. And you sort of like, you think, how have you arrived at the point where it took two debates to figure that out? Have you not been paying attention? Because, I mean, the, I think the interesting, because I've been up and down the country all year since January, uh, February, really, touring. And it's quite clear that in January, February, March... They were out of time with Johnson as a leader, with the public. I mean, it really they really had run out of road and that the dragging out was making it worse. So the idea that, that it's only just occurred to them that they need to sort of reflect that amongst themselves is, you know, these are the best, these are the best people on offer. <laughs> God, they, talk to me about, you've been touring all this year, but then you're going to Edinburgh. Tell me about your new show, Gig for Victory. Well, Gig for Victory is uh, the pub landlord summing up the events of the last couple of years and how he nobly strained every nerve, fibre and sinew in pursuit of his duty to his fellow citizens of uh, not doing anything. And um, I mean, what's really interesting about the pandemic, and obviously this is as much a sort of um, 
a hazard as a as a sort of blessing is this is the first event I've experienced in my life where absolutely everyone knows everything you're talking about when you talk about it. It's not like, hey, do you remember Scooby-Doo when you were a kid? Because some people don't. You know, my my range of sort of childhood observations, I went to a boarding school, so I can hardly say, hey, do you remember when we used to queue for um, uh, uh, biscuits at nine o'clock before we watched the young ones with a cup of milk? You know, no one can relate to that. So so what's really amazing is if you if you talk about boosters everyone knows what you mean and if you talk about because they locked us in our homes all of us it's 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 quite the most amazing thing and, it, and it's sort of um uh, dennis norden said uh, 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 when he died there and a really interesting series of obituaries and he said that one of the it was the best thing starting out as a comedian in 1946 because everyone knew what you were talking about everyone everyone knew if you talked about your ration book your ration card. Everyone knew what you were talking about. So you, you you had this commonality of experience that, you know, I've not experienced in 30 years of being a comedian before. So that's that's quite good fun because, you know, Brexit, which was such a hot potato for a lot of comics and, and, and for all sorts of reasons. Um, uh, the problem with that as a subject is some people were more interested in it than others. Plenty of people were fed up with it. Plenty of people... Um, you know, uh, hadn't, were never interested in the first place, blah, blah, blah. So immediately you're not on the same ground with an audience. Whereas if you, you talk about homeschooling, you know, absolutely everyone knows what you're talking about now, which is, which is kind of amazing. It's interesting. Cause does that make your job as a comic easier because you don't need to do the exposition? You just go straight to it. Actually, the jokes, it's, well, you're yeah, better I, doing half a joke. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, your sort of nods and winks are that much easier. And I've always had that with the character because you're kind of with a character, you're... You're sort of doing that anyway. You're, you're not having to explain why you're talking about things the way you are. You know, it's 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 priced in, as they as they used to say about Boris Johnson, which is now obviously not the case. Um, but um, uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, the other the, obviously the, the the reciprocal of it though is everyone else has got the same subject matter at their disposal, so you've got to find a way of being original with it and trying to yeah. sort of move around and make sure you're not saying the same things as everybody else. But it is a it's a, a fascinating and it'll wear off, but it's a fascinating moment. To be writing, you know, it's not just a, an elephant in the room. It's it's an entire tribe of pachyderms. There's nothing you can do about it. And what about the politics of the pub landlord? <laughs> I know we, we we have spoken to this, uh, spoken about yeah. this before. But I, I I went and saw um the Alan Partridge live show a few weeks ago. Yes, and I yeah. I felt a bit like the character had, had couldn't quite work out where he, he was making jokes about Piers Morgan, whereas actually you'd yeah. think that Alan, the actual real life character of Alan Partridge would. Would agree with Piers pretty Morgan much, and Pretty Patel. Pretty much agree with Piers Morgan. You know I mean? yeah. So it gets a bit confused. Where, where are you? What is the politics of the pub landlord versus the politics of Al Murray? And you try to sort of navigate through that. <laughs> oh well, we we never we never divulge our, our, our real politics, uh, Matt. You know that. Um, uh, no, I mean I I don't know. The thing is, is what what he's what he's not. You see, I, I, the sort of key thing with the pandemic. And the politics around the pandemic with the pub landlord was that finally he got himself a blitz. He got himself a thing he could, that he'd be able to bore his grandchildren about in older age. So he never went full uh, Tonto maniac pandemic uh, conspiracy denier. He never went, he never went fully in that direction because I sort of, I'm sort of too fond of him to make him that, that bananas really. But he, you know, but he did spend a while asking Qui Bono, you know, which is the sort of pub bore's immediate, reflex but i don't know i don't know he's the, the thing is is that you know he's uh he's a he's a uh, super patriot so if his country calls on him to do something like 
lock himself in his house, he'll do it. We are permanently one step ahead, using British thinking. And British thinking is the finest thinking in the world. British thinking is our secret weapon, because British thinking is about combining things, taking different things, combining them, and coming up with something better than those things from those things. Huh? <laughs> the glass, yeah, this glass was manufactured <laughs> in France. <laughs> Christ, the lager, the lager they're in was brewed in Germany. No! <laughs> Why would we bother fighting them twice? <laughs> Put the two together, what you got? A great British pine. You see? So, so the politics is, um, it's interesting, because I've sort of, I've kind of, I, I've, what I've liked about the pandemic is because it's, to, it's topical rather than political in lots of ways. Yes. You can kind of yeah, move yeah. away from having to do... Boris Johnson said this this week in Parliament um, and the week before he said something else, you know, which is which uh, uh, which after all, there is there is a, you know, I mean, the, the leaders debates have shown this. There's a very there's actually not that many people who follow that sort of thing. And there's not actually that many, you know, some people will have turned on the TV and seen, uh, I don't know, Kevin Badnock for the first time in their lives. You know, and maybe the last time in their lives. We, we, we don't know yet. Yeah, yeah. Out. But, you, but you know what I mean? So so zeitgeisty rather than. I mean, the pub landlord on Piers Morgan is he'd agree with him, but also think he's a ghastly um, uh, <laughs> you know, flash. I, was, I, I thought about the pub landlord the other either. day. Have you seen Nigel, your your great nemesis, of course, Nigel Farage? Are you stood against? <laughs> the great South, man, he yes. literally does a thing now on GB News called Talking Pints, where two where him and a guest sit and drink a pint and discuss the news. And I, you should sue. Well, well, I don't know. I mean, it would. That might be a, maybe if uh, you know if the the Edinburgh doesn't work out, I will will vexatiously um, trouble him with some uh, legal letters. I mean, it is a, the thing is is the thing is is um, well, I you know when I started doing the pub landlord a long time ago, and then for quite a while people are going, why are you still doing this? You know that mood, that that vibe. Those people have gone away; they're not important anymore. And then you know, and 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 suddenly coming up coming up on the inside, like there's 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 Farage, and you sort of think. These these things are are uh, they feel fated. We feel bound together by circumstance. So, do you think? Well, have you been turfing out a load of Boris Johnson material, or do you think everyone else going to Edinburgh is like tearing up hours and hours of isn't Boris Johnson uh, well, Wally material? Well, one of the things is I'm 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 working with with Matt Ford at the moment on the Spitting Image live stage show thing. Oh wow! And yeah, and we've already and we're we're very good pals, and we've already consigned one entire complete show to the bin. And we're halfway through our second iteration of what the show will be, and I have a I have a feeling that that's going to go that's going to go into the shredder as well. Just because, I mean, we were we were in this invidious position of, of you know thinking surely he's got to go. He can't hang on for another minute. This has gone too far. The public have had enough. Blah blah blah. And thinking, I hope he's in in next March. Yeah, purely <laughs> purely selfish terms. Uh, if you're putting a show absolutely, like that. absolutely, absolutely, and all, and also, but there's also the thing you now you now have that thing where he'll be stone cold by the spring. So what do you actually do? You know, Matt Matt as an impressionist. I mean, he has this problem far more than me because I try and try to surf year long waves. Matt Matt is in the position where, you know, when when Trump's no longer president, that you know, his Ed Miliband. I mean, I remember him him crying bitter tears into his beer about having to lose that impression. That when Ed Miliband was replaced, um, Matt had this absolutely p- perfect impression on him. And that went. That of course had could never be revived. Tragic. Although he's back now in a in a, in a way. 
Yeah. And actually, yeah, you're right. Whoever wins, it's going to be much harder to either do an impression of Rishi Sunak or Liz yeah. Truss, but also yeah. just yeah. to generate, you know, Boris Johnson, like Donald Trump, is a celebrity, essentially, who became yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. the prime minister or president. And nobody yes, the, else... The persona, yeah, persona as ba- political battering ram, but that was, the, that was the way through bothering having to string an argument and all that sort of stuff together. You, you, it's me, don't worry. You, you, know, the, you knew where you stood with him and all that. I mean, it's interesting because we... Because, I, I, um, you know, I've been doing this, um, this Second World War podcast and we kept being asked during the pandemic about the, the similarities. And then someone the other day asked us about, you know, the Churchill-Johnson Churchill similarities and all that sort of stuff. And I think... I, I don't think... Uh, you can you can find superficial ones, but I think the the really interesting similarity is him and Neville Chamberlain, who in you know Chamberlain is in an incredibly strong position politically when he comes into power. Hold the Tory parties into him, and it's his, and it's because of his sort of moral USP that he's an upstanding guy. And by the time he's done, that's in tatters, and and that's a similarity. I think that you know Chamberlain's position in thirty seven is completely unassailable politically, and by nineteen forty, you know he's he's, he's out. And it's because he squandered the thing that he supposedly brought. And, you know, Boris brought, don't worry, chaps, we'll get this done, boosterism, and basically squandered it from an incredibly strong position. It's really interesting. There's an interesting parallel there. Yeah. Yeah, because they they gave at Boris's last cabinet meeting this week, the uh, the cabinet uh, had a whip. Some of these people only joined the cabinet, of course, last week against (laughs) their better judgment. Now, 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 there's a question, Matt. But there's a question, Matt. You're new to a job, and the, there's, there's a whip round, and you've only been in the job a fortnight. I mean, are you gonna, you're gonna what? You're gonna go a pound, a fiver? I Particularly because gonna... like, if you're like Greg Clark or Robert Buckland, he sacked you and tried to, get, you know, you've gone back to serve the country, <laughs> and the first thing it gets is somebody coming around with like a brown envelope, and uh, you know, there's a big card to be signed. Um, so anyway, they bought him some first editions of Churchill's uh, Churchill's books about the Second World about the Second World War. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, um, yeah. Just to remind Boris Johnson what a book about Churchill is really like, rather than the one that he wrote. <laughs> well, I mean, I expect Boris intends history to be kind to him, for he shall write that history, isn't he? I, I think mean, that's probably. I, right. I have to say, a quite interesting spectacle of various sort of um, uh, political correspondents at the weekend lining themselves up to ghostwrite the book by saying what a fantastic chap he is after all this, really. <laughs> I think the idea of ghostwriting, anybody who's ever tried to write a speech of Boris Johnson knows you can't write, you can't ghostwrite Boris Johnson. You know, the, the speech he did this week was completely bonkers because he'd clearly written it himself. Yeah. Uh, the whole thing. <laughs> and so how do you, what, given everything you're doing right now, so you've got a spitting image live yeah. show on the cards, you've got yeah. Al Murray Pub Landlord on tour going to yeah. anyone, still doing the history yeah. podcast, which bit do you enjoy the yeah, most? Yeah. Um, I tend to enjoy the the thing I'm not having to do at the time. So if I'm on if I'm on tour, I'm mithering about touring and saying, oh, "I wish we were," I, you know, "I wish I wish I was uh, at the Imperial War Museum looking at some interesting documents." And when we're doing spitting image, we're, we're, we're I mean, basically, when we're doing spitting image, we're thinking, "When are we going to have to put this script in the shredder?" You know, like how much more of this must we endure? But I mean, I have to say, it's really brilliant that the fringes. I'm actually delighted that. I'm able to go this year because, you know, we had, they had these two sort of strange fringes. Well, they didn't have one in 2020. And then last year they had this strange sort of, you know, um, uh, uh, third capacity. And it tended to be only acts from Scotland, which is some might say is a massive improvement. But um, but it was a really sort of skeleton thing. And I think I mean, I 
I absolutely love the Fringe. I think the Fringe is the. I think it's the most important arts festival in the world. It's the. It's the greatest show on earth and all that. And some things about it are, in, are eternal. That there's always an article about how it's not as good as it used to be, and it's too expensive to perform at. And 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 even the articles about how it's not as good as it used to be aren't as good as they used to be. You know, the, 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 that sort of the, the eternity of that. And having been going a really long time, you sort of think, ah, oh, well, you know, that that article's three days earlier than usual. You know, like you get that feeling that that you've just seen it all before. But it's the most amazing thing. And I'm going. I'm going for the last full week and I, I just, I mean, I actually sort of can't wait. And then, you know, I, I think it's the city I've lived in longest other than London because I, you know, I've been going, I've done 20 and 30 years. So or something like that, or 24 and 30 years, something like that. So I've been going over and over and over again. So I must have amassed at least a year living there. And my eldest daughter was born there in 1990. I feel completely connected to the place. So it's so wow. exciting that it's happening. Yeah. The pub landlord was born there as well, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Yes. Yeah. So I feel I feel properly sort of umbilically connected to the place. And I, every time I go back there, I get very sentimental and I message my daughter and go, I'm back in your birthplace and all that. She's like, yeah, whatever. Dad, don't care. But because um, she <laughs> she, after all, is is born Scots. But then because she lived in London, wasn't allowed a free uni and was most upset about that. So, um, uh, uh, you, you know, the SNP, they're losing a. A potential vote if she ever ends up living in Scotland. I mean, it, it, it's such an amazing. Pl- it is such an amazing it, place, and like I say, I, mean, I sort of feel like I grew up there as a comedian. Is it still possible to go there and get a break, or is it somewhere to go and just do the hard yards? And actually, doing this, doing a show every day for a month is how you get better. Is it? Is it somewhere you can still get? Well, spotted? I think. Well, I think that I think if you go if you go looking to get spotted, you probably won't. But if you go there looking to improve, you might get spotted. And the yeah. and the that's the way round. That's the way I always used to. I mean, it, and the th- things have really changed since I was doing it in the nineties, where I I was just really majorly into playing the comedy circuit. I'd do sort of four hundred gigs a year, and I'd have enough money in the bank to be able to afford to go to Edinburgh and lose money. And and I used to regard it as sort of, you know, because you have to do an hour, so I'd see it as a, as a sort of a as a the next grade up. You know, it was the way of it was the way of getting better, and, and that's what I was investing in, rather than thinking, oh, is someone going to discover me? Like the being trying to just get better at being a comic and so so to, you know i think if you go there if you go there looking for fame and glory like in anything you know but if you get your eyes down and you concentrate on what you're trying to do and you apply yourself now i sound like my me when i'm talking to my kid i've two you know i have a 22 year old 19 year old and i'm going well you know things have changed awfully since uh the early 1990s when I would buy a copy of Time Out and ring the ring the chap at the pub and ask him for the phone number of the comedy promoter. You know, like the, the yeah, sort of yeah. sheer difference in the world. But I think the Fringe should be in it. I think if you're going at it for creative capital reasons, then the money, you've got to make sure that you're not worrying about, you, you, that you're satisfied with what you're spending the money on, you know, which is PR, an expensive flat, pot noodle, misery. Uh, and drink. I seem to remember. Drink. I seem to remember quite I went. Drink, that was quite yes. a bit. That was quite, quite a, made up quite That's a sizable percentage. Yes. Uh, the last thing I, yes, I, the other thing I was going to ask you about: How's Fat Cops going? The bands that you've formed uh, well, with we, a motley crew. Um, well, we basically um, we were recording the sort of fortnight before the before the pandemic broke in March 2020, and uh, Neil, who's the keyboard player, who's a doctor, was wouldn't wouldn't give us a sort of. We're quite we're middle-aged men who are tactile. He wouldn't give anyone a hug goodbye. And we're going. What's your problem? He's going. Oh, this is the big one. This is this is this is coming. And basically, we have not been able to reconvene. We've done a couple of shows, but we haven't been able to reconvene to do a recording since 
since all this happened. And I've been, we, everyone's then been thrown back into lots of work. Because, um, you know, we've, we've uh, think tankers and journalists and all sorts of interesting people in the band. So, yeah, so we know, should, I should explain. Everyone's very busy. For people yes. who don't know, so there's Chris Deere, who's a journalist, uh, Chris Eyre, Neil Murray, Ewan McComb, and then Robert Hodgins. Bobby Hodgins, yeah, from the Blue Bobby Bells. Hodgins. Yeah, yeah. From the Blue Bells. Yeah. Um, yeah. Given, if you could have it all, given you had a go at all of this now, <laughs> would you rather be a rock star or a comic? No, I think the, 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 the issue with being a rock star is sharing the money. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the thing about comedians is, and I, and, you know, and I can only speak for myself, but we're a tribe and there's never, no one's ever managed to form a trade union. And I think, I think it's because in the end, we're sort of mercenary dagger between our teeth people um, uh, who, who, uh, you know, because I used to play in bands when I was in my 20s and it and it and it was the business of of uh, uh, being the drummer I had to get everyone I had to drive everyone around and then we'd split the money the the 30 quid would go three ways in my petrol you know you know what I mean whereas it, as a comic yeah. you, you don't have to do any of that the glory's all mine you take it all the back looking at the singer's bum yeah exa- exactly <laughs> <laughs> um, Al, it's really good to speak to you best of luck if people want to come and see right, you in Edinburgh where are you and how can they get tickets I'm at George Square Assembly uh, 22nd to the 29th of August two shows on both Mondays I think I'm on a half past eight, something like that. And the, they'll find me on my pub landlord website or the, the, the miracle that is um, a search engine. <laughs> and just finally, for, for comedy purposes, who would you most like to see yeah. become prime minister? Oh, ouch. Um, I think Liz Truss might deliver. I think. Um... <laughs> we'll wait and see. Although what Penny, Morden, really good... Penny Morden, Penny Morden has got dare that's got out of hand vibes about her. <laughs> she's dead. <laughs> There's a little bit, dead, all the flags and fry-ups and spitfires. There's a little bit pub landlord as well. She's defi- That's definitely where she's pitching. Tiny bit. It's really good. Tiny bit, yeah. So tiny maybe bit, Penny Morton. Yeah, why not? <laughs> I could see the two of you doing a duet. The pub landlord and Penny Morton singing, <laughs> you know, We'll Meet Again or something. Oh, we, could, we could definitely. We could. Uh, if she wins, right, think... we'll pitch it. <laughs> Al, lovely to speak to you. Speak to you soon. Take care. Always. Uh, how good would it be if we could get Paddy Morton and the pub landlord to do a duet? Can we make that happen? Especially for you? Something like that? We write the lyrics about fly-ups? Lovely. Lovely to speak to Al. Uh, definitely well worth seeing if you can uh, try, and, uh, try and get to see him up in Edinburgh over the coming uh, weeks. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. We bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcast from. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hi, I'm Jane Garvey. And I'm Fee Glover. Off Air with Jane and Fee is going live. We are taking to the stage at the amazing Crucible Theatre in Sheffield on Friday the 31st of May. It'll be a night full of surprises. We'll have a special guest, we'll involve you in the audience and we'll embarrass ourselves. You really won't want to miss it. Well, the surprises, we don't yet know what's in it, so it genuinely is a night of surprises. Well, you've surprised me already. Uh, It's not just us. Our live show is part of an exciting new podcast festival called Cross 
Wires, which is taking place in some really amazing venues across Sheffield from the 31st of May to the 2nd of June. So other podcasters that you'll be able to see include Katie Price, Catherine Ryan, Romash Ranganathan and the original Adam Buxton. But there's also a whole host of free fringe events, family shows, surprise acts and after parties that Jane and I haven't yet been invited to. I'm sure it's only a matter of time. Head to crosswires.live for tickets and more information.